Good morning to all of you who have joined the session to look at removing barriers uh, to climate, uh, to accelerating climate action. I'm Jeremy Cohen, senior partner at Blurred, a global communications consultancy that blurs the lines between communications, sustainability, and management consultancy, and an organization that believes in impact. Um, so, as such, the topic today is very close to my heart. I'm joined by our two panelists, Toby Morgan of the Climate Group and Harry Bahar of Signify. Uh, just to say, you can put questions during this panel uh, in the chat, and we will uh, see how many of those we can take uh, as part of our conversation today. Let me introduce our panelists. Toby Morgan has 15 years experience in energy efficiency and, and the climate change sectors, working across both the public sector and NGOs. Toby is passionate about climate change and sees energy efficiency as the number one priority to reduce uh, global CO2 emissions. Toby joined the internationally round NGO, the Climate Group in 2017, after previously working on various energy projects for two London Borough Councils. Harry Vahar from Signify. Harry is head of global public and government affairs for Signify, formerly Philips Lighting. He's responsible for the strategy, the outreach, and stakeholder management on energy and climate change for the company, also resource efficiency and sustainable development. Uh, with a key focus on the role of the LED lighting revolution, you won't be surprised. Uh, since the um, since the end of 2003, Harry's been the architect of the lighting strategy on energy and climate change for Signify, which has resulted in global momentum on phasing out old lighting technologies. Amongst many partnerships, achievements in energy efficiency and accolades, Harry was the recipient of the 2011 UN Leader, Leader of Change Award and has received the Carbon War Rooms Gigaton Award on behalf of Philips, now Signify. So let's move into our session. As the title of the session indicates, we want to get to the heart of what it will take to accelerate climate action, where are the barriers to doing so, and how we can remove them. And based on the passion and expertise of our panelists, we're going to focus on that area, possibly most easily in our grasp, that of energy efficiency. I'd like to begin by asking you both to lay out your perspectives on energy efficiency in the built environment. Um, Toby, the Climate Group launched the Energy Efficiency Imperative Report in March this year as part of your EP100 initiative. Maybe we could start by having you share with us some of the key learnings of that report and your vision for energy efficiency in tackling climate change. Great, thanks, Jeremy. Um, really good to be here. Uh, morning, Harry, as well, or afternoon. Um, yeah, so. Climate Group, we're an international NGO um, founded in 2004, and our mission is to drive climate action fast. And we do that with uh, working with powerful networks of corporates and governments as well. So just a quick overview. And yeah, we I see energy efficiency as the number one priority for climate action. Um, the One of the major barriers that, that we're going to talk about today is, is the lack of awareness still. So we, we know that it's a huge part of the clean energy transition, but yet it's not given the priority it deserves. And also one of the, the major advantages of energy efficiency is it's available immediately. We don't have to wait for some far off um, technology. We have the existing technology today and LED lighting being a, a massive part of that. So yeah, energy efficiency is available immediately um, and we want to really raise the profile. So that's what we try and do with our work at Climate Group and tell the positive stories from there. Um, for, for business, it's not just good um, for saving energy, for saving money, but it's got lots of other co-benefits as well. So it's good for your entire business case. If you're increasing efficiency, you're optimizing all of your buildings, all of your operations, your warehouses, your factories, 
Um, so it's got all these co-benefits and really engaging with the, the workforce, the whole workforce for that is really key in explaining the benefits to that. So we're, we're really here to raise up the priority, tell those good stories. Um, and we've been working with Signify in partnership for 14 years or more um, to showcase how it can really benefit not just business, but those wider socioeconomic benefits as well. So that's what we're we're really trying to get across, um, and also the the business case for that. And what we what we say at Climate Group is bringing um, energy efficiency from the boiler room to the boardroom. Stop it being this this um, slightly technical subject that just uh, some sustainability people are talking about or the technical people are talking about and really raise the profile within corporations and saying your C-suite need to be involved in this agenda. They're the ones with the, the budget holders. So if we can engage the, the boardroom, showcase the benefits to the wider business case of energy efficiency, that's really key. So that's what um, my mission is and what we try to do with our, our corporate partners with Signify. And, and Toby, just in the intro, I mentioned the energy efficiency imperative, the report that you get, you brought out a couple of months ago. Are there any kind of key things that you would want um, people joining the session to be aware of from that? Yeah, so it's available on the website. would recommend everyone goes there and downloads it. And we've got some really interesting case studies from some of the biggest corporates um, around the world and showcasing that leadership. So um, it's often forgotten about that it's the biggest part of the Paris Agreement was energy efficiency. So 40% of the savings required to get to net zero come from energy efficiency. So once corporates realize that, you know, they, they really need to prioritize this and say, it's not just a, a small bit of energy saving here and there. It's actually a huge part of the, um, the clean energy transition. Like I said, as well, it's available immediately. So we're, we're looking at some real life case studies in that report and seeing what our business leaders are doing on energy efficiency. Um, and we've got, you know, this long-standing partnership with Signify as well. And we've got a number of publications that we've done with them, not just looking at corporate lighting, but also outdoor street lighting as well. And there's some really interesting case studies on um, what cities have been doing around the world. And often it's not um, been made aware that it can be, you know, 70 to 90% savings from um, switching the existing technology for, for street lighting to, to um, LEDs. And then you can look once they're, because they're a digital technology, you can connect them to um, management systems, do lots of smart stuff with that as well. So the wider benefits of energy efficiency, that's what we're really trying to get across with our work and with our communications. Um, so yeah, that's what we want to try and get across. There's some really good points there uh, that you made, Toby. And I think it, uh, one really key one is that when we talk about the built environment, we're not just talking about buildings, we're talking yeah. about energy efficiency on the streets as well. And of course, yeah. it signified plays an important role there. So, so Harry, maybe I can put that to you. Um, you're a member of the climate group as Signify and indeed also the World Green Building Council, amongst others. What is the perspective of Signify? Uh, firstly, on energy efficiency, how that has and is shaping your business and product strategy. And then secondly, how that uh, meets the needs and objectives of your customers and wider society when thinking about climate change. <clears throat> yeah, thank you, uh, Jeremy, and also thank you, uh, Toby. Uh, so happy to join and indeed uh, also happy to be a long-time partner of the Climate Group. Uh, there are many associations, but I think the Climate Group is really a, a think-do tank. So there are lots of programs uh, that show um, yeah, what can be done, uh, also thereby inspiring others to, to do more. Um, so yeah, energy efficiency has always been our business. Uh, so from the first incandescent light bulb uh, that we launched in 1891, 
<coughs> that was that was in in efficiency terms only one lumen per watt. Um, that actually then and then even after that had those improved had to about ten lumens per watt, but it still meant uh, that the incandescent lamp that we phased out in the last uh, decade and a half uh, only converted one percent of input energy at a power plant uh, into its function into lighting. So it, it wasn't even, you could say, a lighting device. It was more like a heating device. Uh, <clears throat> so then having said that, energy efficiency has always been our business, but particularly since 2003, as you mentioned, uh, Jeremy, so we stepped up our program on energy and climate because at that time, European Parliament was thinking about how can we translate the Kyoto Treaty, which was then on the table, into regulation. And we felt yeah, we need to help. We need to show how much can be achieved, but also what matters, what policies and what approaches are important. And yeah, time flies, so that is still a lot of what we do together today. And now more on the Paris Agreement and on the European Green Deal and on other programs in other regions. But as Toby mentioned, <clears throat> yeah, the, the International Energy Agency and also the UN and, and other analysis, they show that yeah, half of the CO2 reduction that we need have to stay within what I call livable boundaries, one and a half points, 1.5 degrees of, of, of global warming, that needs to come from efficiency, simply because we waste too much. On, on average, we waste half of the energy that we produce. So half of what we produce, we, we don't use, we throw it away. Uh, so that means that massive improvements are possible. Uh, I, I'll give a few, so certainly have, we'll talk about some of the lighting statistics, but maybe having, let's say, at the start of this uh, webinar, <clears throat> it's important to recognize that we should not just focus on the problem, but also on the solution. And the crisis we see now, so the economic crisis, then came COVID, so the war in Russia, so the, the World Economic Forum calls it, I think they were the first to coin the term uh, polycrisis, uh, is there. It's all real, it's all urgent, it all requires action. Um, but if you look at it, uh, it also, I think, has triggered people into understanding that we really need to accelerate the energy transition. And there's a lot happening on, on, on what is called the supply side. So renewable energy, super important. Also a lot of talk about hydrogen and nuclear also needs to happen. Uh, but that will take a lot of time. So th those two will take decades uh, before they really are large enough uh, yeah, to supplement it on, on the clean energy mix. So and energy efficiency can be done really fast and it's huge. Uh, so we see that in lighting, uh, even where we are in our sales, and I think also in the sector, like 85% of our, of our business is LED. I think most people have, when they purchase lighting, it is more often LED. But then in, if you just look at Europe, half of the installed lighting bases, all the light points in streets and in, in offices, in schools, in shops, in, in, at home, is still all technology, so tubes and bulbs. And so that means that also there are massive savings are possible and they really need it because of the of the energy transition. And then maybe just one number to end there. If, if Europe would change all that 50% into LED, we would save 65 billion euro per year. And it would also reduce uh, CO2 emission by 51 million tons. So it's hard to grasp how much it is, but it's a lot. <laughs> And uh, you compare just to 65 billion euro, uh, if you would look at them, yeah, per, let's say per household or per city, those are really big numbers. And they will help also then, uh, yeah, the renewable energy agenda. And, and they will help in other ways. 
Thanks, Harry. And and you've spoken a little bit there about the size of the prize, which I think is is clearly very significant. But then why is it that energy efficiency doesn't receive a similar level of, of attention as energy innovation? Yeah, I think one one reason, uh, and, and I think probably people will, will recognize that too when I mention this, is that energy efficiency is like uh, invisible. Uh, so you don't see it. Uh, so if, uh, if a political leader or a company would decide to build a, a large nuclear facility or, a, or a, let's say, a, a solar farm or windmills, uh, they can be seen. Uh, and of course, uh, there's still also there's some discussion. Uh, some people don't, don't like those on the horizon. But in essence, uh, those are seen like, hey, this is what we did. This is what we invested in. It's there. It's like, like hardware. Tangible, yeah. It's tangible. And energy efficiency is then invisible. But on the other hand, um, energy efficiency is actually very visible. And I like to compare it with one thing. So did you know, a little bit depending on the energy prices, which are now much higher than, than, than two years ago, but on average in the last 10 years, uh, Europe imported for 1 billion euro. So 1 billion euro in fossil fuel per day. So every day, 1 billion euro in fossil fuel. So if we move on energy efficiency, we don't need those imports. If you do the math, if, we, if Europe acts on efficiency, then all imports are no longer needed. And how does that then become visible? That becomes visible in a lot of people, have a, a lot of blue collar, but also white collar jobs. So a lot of people putting in double glazing, changing the lights in the ceilings, putting in the building management systems. So, and those are good jobs. So those jobs have would come in place of importing and burning fossil fuel. So I think the invisible nature is one thing. Yep. And another thing is also important, and, and, and I think there, there are also positive developments, is that energy efficiency, yeah, there's a lot possible, but it are so many small little bits. So if in the past, a couple of years ago, you would have asked the city mayor to improve the efficiency of street lighting, they would scratch their heads and they would think how to do this. And of course, this is where the climate group stepped in with the large city trial program. But the thing is in technology, that so LEDs are digital, which means that every street lantern, but also every light point in the building gets an IP address, and you can manage it from a dashboard. So then suddenly, instead of talking to a facility manager or somebody who goes on the bicycle at night and looks, okay, what works, what doesn't, and then buys a few boxes in the morning, the city mayor can now see from a dashboard how his lighting operates. They can dim it, they can manage it, but they can add up all the potential savings and then have a bigger project, let's say a 10 million project that is more easily financeable. So there's two things I think we need to realize it may be invisible, but actually it's a lot of, lot of jobs. And second, we can now finally, because with the digital nature of lighting, we can combine all those little bits into big projects that can be done more quickly. And that also banks and also the, let's say European funding, and also then separately, of course, UK funding, government funding, is more interested in how to apply that because they see and they have also proof uh, of the real savings. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I live in a town in France where um, the street lighting is activated by motion, so it, it becomes brighter when people walk past. And it's also a dark town, so 1.30 a.m. every day the lights go off uh, until 5 a.m. and uh, you can visibly feel that, 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 that difference. Um, Toby, from your perspective, uh, so we've, we've heard about um, 
the, the fact that uh, energy efficiency is the kind of less sexy part of uh, the, the uh, picture here. As an NGO that's promoting energy efficiency, what can you do to try and make it more appealing to your stakeholders? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, agree with what Harry said. It is it's less tangible. So what we do as a uh, as climate group is tell those good stories, tell those positive stories, do some case studies, reports, examples, show that leadership by corporates and by cities or governments around the world, telling those good stories and saying, you know, it's if you just talk about um, kilowatt hours saved or tons of CO2, some people's you know eyes can glaze, glaze over a bit and uh, they're thinking about something else. But then if you tell those positive stories, those excellent case studies about you know improving the safety of a city or um, improving a connectivity of a building by doing these projects, I think telling those really interesting stories and making it more tangible. And yeah, with corporates as well, telling the good business case story for it. It's not just about saving some energy. It's about improving, optimizing your whole business. So telling those really interesting stories. And I think how it can all fit together as well is um, we've seen at the moment with the various funding packages. So the Inflation Reduction Act in the US, um, there's some funding in the in the EU. And lots of that is concentrating on energy efficiency and it's they don't talk so much about energy efficiency, but it's about jobs. It's creating good, good green jobs, like Harry said, um, green collar jobs, as you can call them. So people installing heat pumps or insulation or lighting, whatever it is. So the politicians, that really gets their attention as well. So you can say, you know, it's about saving energy, reducing carbon. But also, it's good for the economy. It's good for energy resilience. You know, we've seen the massive um, energy crisis in Europe, which has had massive knock on effects. Um, the IEA recently, International Energy Agency, called for a, a re relentless focus on energy efficiency. And that was one of their 10 points to get off um, Russian imported fossil fuels is to increase energy efficiency massively. So it's not just about um, saving some energy. It's got all these co-benefits for business as well. It's about business resilience. So you can reduce your um, your overheads, your outgoings by implementing these projects. And it's it, it should be seen as a wider investment not just about buying a bit of kit, it's about improving the whole business. So so getting those good stories out there, that's what we try and do with, with Climate Group. And maybe Jeremy, I can go, throw in a ahead, few numbers man. here. So the, I can throw a few numbers in, in here. Had, um, Please. Because <clears throat> then um, a couple of years ago, the World Council on City Data, they are headquartered in Toronto. So they do a lot of, uh, let's say, work on the SDGs for cities. They looked into 10 cities that had changed their street lighting to connected LED. So one was Los Angeles, and it was part of the Climate Group program, uh, Buenos Aires and a few more. And they confirmed uh, the savings. I think LA had 50% reduction, $10 million less <laughs> on electricity for, for street lighting. Uh, Buenos Aires had two-thirds reduction. But also what they found, and those are the benefits uh, that Toby is mentioning, they found a reduction in nighttime traffic accidents of 30%. And, and at nighttime, that's also where most traffic accidents occur because there's, there's no daylight. Uh, but they also found a reduction in, in street crimes, so assaults and burglary of 21%. Uh, so then, and those are the things that, that, a, that a city mayor or a city board can then also explain and I think can get their citizens engaged in because they, they will be fine, I think, with the energy saving and the CO2 reduction as part of a city uh, climate program. But most of all, they're interested in, uh, in safety. Mm. And this actually is, is because, uh, of course, uh, we are a little, a little bit uh, lighting nerds uh, at Signify, <laughs> but, but then uh, most people might think uh, like, yeah, white light is white light, but LED lighting gives a, a better a better 
uh, vertical recognition uh, so people see better so they make less mistakes so fewer accidents and they are less naughty yeah, so less crime so right. it's really it's really yeah let's say really interesting to see how this new new technology then provides uh, multiple benefits I'm going to bring in a question from the audience, Harry, because I think that that okay. relates to what you're just saying about technology. So the question reads as follows. I like intelligent systems. However, the probability of cyber attacks increases. To what extent is part of your concepts, arguments towards partners who, who want to switch to more energy efficient systems? So is there a way of mitigating that risk of cyber attacks as the systems become more intelligent? Yeah. No, no, let me first say, I would say analog technologies are as much uh, vulnerable huh, for uh, for blackouts and for malfunctioning as maybe digital. So that, so let's not let's not be too scared. But what we do indeed uh, also make our platforms completely secure. Um, I think one of the best, let's say, technology we have is U. So you, Philips U lighting for the home. So we have connected LED. You can do it with a smartphone app. But we actually also have a following uh, of hackers uh, that are invited uh, to try and hack uh, the system. So that we can see, okay, are there any possible improvements possible? And over the last uh, seven years, I think now that we have it, uh, that has not happened. So the, it's a huge attention area because indeed uh, nobody would like any digital invaders in their home or in the city. Uh, so like with analog technology, it, it's a, it's a yeah sharp let's say attention area. But um, yeah, a lot can be done in encryption, which which we do, uh, to make sure that indeed the lighting provides what people seek. And doesn't uh, yeah doesn't get anybody in through the back door. Maybe I can ask both of you. Maybe starting with Toby, building on this point around technology, and um, how much can we expect from increased energy efficiency in the future? So not just using existing technologies, but is there a sort of pipeline of improvements that are going to see that growth curve of of energy efficiency improvements increase the more we implement and and uh, continue R and D? Yeah, for sure. So I think with smart technologies, you know, we're going to see that ramping up. I think some of the big things that are happening at the moment are obviously the mass rollout of heat pumps. So that's an existing technology, but it's a massive game changer um, as LED lighting was. So huge energy savings from um, from heat pumps, but it's also going to increase the, um, the electricity load on the grid. So with the um, electrification of transport, with EVs, with space heating and cooling, with heat pumps, we're going to see a big jump in demand for electricity. Therefore, efficiency plays a big part of that in reducing the demand in the first place. Yeah, we are going to see a ramping up in um, smart technologies. I think AI can potentially have a big role. There's lots of um, sort of scare stories of AI at the moment. Um, but actually, it can play a really interesting role in, for example, building management. So it can learn occupancy levels and data and gather um, information from lots of different sources to optimize those buildings. Because at the moment, we're still seeing lots of kind of dumb buildings, as we say. Um, so the, the air conditioning's on the full time when you know a building might only be 40% occupied, um, for example. So all those kind of intelligent learnings, building management systems, that type of thing, I think can really help improve and decarbonize the, the built environment. Um, but also with these there are data collection concerns, as as the uh, questioner said. So we always have to bear in mind first, go with the question, what are we trying to solve first before just collecting data for the data's sake? You don't want to do that. Um, and there's lots of you know data sharing implications for that. So with a building, for example, or with a city, what what's the problem we're trying to solve first and then collect that data that's necessary? 
So start that way around, as opposed to just collecting every single bit of data and then thinking, right, what we're going to do with all this. So using data in an intelligent way, but AI nice. can potentially play a big role in that. And we're seeing some really interesting things on heat pumps. So um, another one of our members, Danfoss, have just done a really interesting project with the supermarket. So with your all the chillers that you have in stores, so keeping all the you know the the milk cold, whatever it is, uh, as well as chilling, they're emitting heat out the back. So they're recapturing that waste heat, fe feeding that back into the building for for space heating. So kind of we we waste so much heat as well. That's a big problem with efficiency. So if you can recycle that heat, use the stuff we're wasting in the first place, reuse that, repurpose energy, so we're not just letting it escape into the atmosphere. So we have to. Um, plan these things in a, a circular um, manner as well. So it's not going away from binary systems, going into circularity. Um, LEDs can play a big part of that as well because you can recycle, reuse. And there's some interesting business models on that as well. So um, some companies are getting away from buying bits of kits. So you're actually buying a service. So you're doing energy efficiency as a service or lighting as a service. So you're, you're getting the experts in there to do this work for you. It gets around the upfront costs, um, those upfront capital costs, and then you're paying for a service. So it could be an energy saving service or it could be a carbon reduction service as opposed to buying physical bits of kit. Um, so having some of those more circular economy type um, business models as well is, is really interesting, an interesting development we're going to see more of, I think. Thanks. Uh, Harry, you, you spoke at the beginning of, uh, of Signify and Phillips beforehand, always being interested in energy efficiency. Um, so, of course, there's a lot of solutions on the market today, but are there things that you have in development which are going to be able to, to give a step change improvements in efficiency? Yeah, so the, maybe two, two things also building on what Toby mentioned. So, the, yeah, the efficiency keeps on improving. So, not too long ago, have we, we were all using compact fluorescent lamps, but then LEDs are now already four times more efficient. In the last uh, three years, we've been launching an expanded portfolio of what we call ultra-efficient LEDs. So they're more than 200 lumens per watt. So compare that to the 10 of an incandescent light bulb. So that's then already 20 times. So you save more than 95% on your bill. Huh? So hardly anything remaining. And that keeps on improving. It's also going circular. So we can talk about that, uh, let's say, also in, in this uh, webinar. But what is also important <clears throat> is that efficiency is very much needed because of the electrification of heating and transport. Have you seen that in, um, in many places, and also where I live here in the southern Netherlands, the electricity grid is at capacity. Uh, it's getting congested. We have here now, I think, um, was in the news, uh, more than 3,000 companies are waiting uh, for more capacity from the utilities, and it's not there. You should know that here in the south of the Netherlands, GDP growth is 6% per year, so more than China, and it's being hampered by, by a lack of electricity. And I, I like number crunching, so we did some, uh, some of that uh, on this. And so the, what is interesting is that a household, a European household, on average consumes uh, 3,400 kilowatt per, per year. I think most of us will, will recognize that. But also an electric vehicle that drives 10,000 miles, which is more the rule of thumb number, needs 3,400 kilowatt hours. A heat pump, uh, so we're doing away with your gas boiler, which we did last year, uh, then a heat pump also needs more or less the same amount, uh, depending a bit on the size of your house and, and also, let's say, the how cold the winter is. <clears throat> so it means uh, that yeah, one household in electricity is one electric vehicle, is one heat pump. So, so on, on the other side, it means so that's a massive growth. 
On the other side, it means if you do more on efficiency, if you save through lighting, building management, and, and so forth, you free up a lot of electricity for these other needs. And that is why also the energy transition needs to be an integrated approach. So efficiency, renewables, and electrification, so they go hand in hand, they help each other. And if for lighting alone, uh, all light points in Europe, but then I'm talking now EU27, so for the whole of Europe it would be about double. For EU27 it would be upgraded. It frees up electricity that can power 47 million heat pumps or that can charge 55 million cars. So that's quite substantial if you look at the number of households in, in, in Europe. So, so what I'm saying here then is really important. So we need the efficiency for reasons that we spoke about, but we also need it uh, if we want to electrify heating and transport. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point because you're saying I mean, we're going to start talking about the barriers uh, and the grid being one of those barriers. But what you're actually saying is that by coming in with an energy efficiency approach, you're taking a problem, which is the resilience of the grid. And you're actually saying that the energy efficiency is part of that solution. Yeah. What, what are some of the other barriers that you do see, both of you, that you run into when you talk to stakeholders about putting energy efficiency higher up on their agenda? Maybe Toby, um, maybe yeah. you can start on this one. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jeremy. So, yeah, I think lack of awareness is still there, despite, um, you know, we, we've been banging the drum for energy efficiency for years and years, but still the awareness is, is quite low of what a big chunk it is of the clean energy transition. So people just don't understand. I think the, you know, the pro proliferation of renewable electricity has been amazing. We've seen, you know, massive um, increase in renewables all around the world, but emissions are still rising. You know which is quite scary so if we double down our efforts on energy efficiency we really want to double um, the rates of energy efficiency by 2030 it's a huge task but it's available immediately so that's what i was saying so getting the the message out there that it's it's not enough to do renewables it's, it's great it's been amazing transformation in, in the whole um world energy system but still we need to concentrate on efficiency as part of that i think Regulatory barriers uh, play a part as well. Um, they're not prioritized. We're seeing more and more uh, countries or jurisdictions adopting minimum energy performance standards, MEPs, um, which can really help push things along. Um, but with with growing development, you know, the, the global floor area of um, in the world is is increasing massively. So we need those minimum energy performance standards to ensure that we're not massively ramping up the amount of energy we're using in our buildings. Um, product efficiency standards can really help as well. So just for um, categories of electrical appliances, so lighting, um, air conditioning, refrigeration, and DC motors, which are used in factories and things, um, use 40% of the electricity in buildings. So if we can double the energy efficiency of those products, which we've seen in lighting with, with LEDs, um, that can massively <coughs> save huge amounts of energy without anyone really noticing and also helps tackle, you know, fuel poverty, high energy bills. You know, as, as we here in the UK, as I sit, we've, we're experiencing the highest energy bills in the world currently, which is not great. So if we improve all the efficiency of our products, of our buildings, that can massively help and regulation can, can really help with those things. So we need government support on this. Um, governments are showing the way, uh, sorry, businesses are showing the way on energy efficiency, but we really need some some better support, better legislation, a bit of a carrot and stick approach from governments as well. So you can have um, the stick approach with, with you know, building efficiency standards, whatever it is, also having some incentives um, 
having enabling environments so companies or governments can adopt these high efficiency standards can really help as well. So a mixture of carrot and stick. Um, so yeah, the awareness, the incentives, the policy, um, and that the lack of um, public awareness as well. We we know that um, sort of energy literacy, if we want to call it that, is still quite low. So things like public information campaigns can be really useful because we know people want to reduce their their bills, their energy consumption, but often they're not entirely sure how to do that. So some form of um, information campaign to go alongside those policies can really help raise awareness as well. Yeah, I love the idea of carrot and stick because uh, very often stakeholders will be looking purely from a cost perspective. You need to try it, which potentially they're the stick. You need to give them the carrot as well, the incentive. Exactly, yeah. Harry, you know, you work in government affairs. What are government stakeholders telling you when you talk <clears> to them about trying to get this higher off the agenda? What are they struggling with and how can we help them there? Yeah, I think so. So, so overall, maybe um, I think we're talking too much about the problem. And that is maybe also why it took so long had to get the Paris Agreement, and that's now seven, almost eight years ago, and we're still talking about how to implement it. So we should talk much more about the solutions. And I think, um, yeah, you can find those in four areas. So one, we spoke about technology, so creating more awareness of what technology can do, how it can help. I think sometimes politicians are not aware uh, that businesses might be supportive, they have the technology. It's also an innovation agenda, so also relevant for our future as a company, but also for the European economy, because there are many innovative companies in Europe that have those solutions. Um, but then the second part is on policies, um, because that, and that's where the carrot and the stick certainly comes in. Uh, so one is indeed setting, setting targets, huh? so how much by when. Uh, but also you need supportive policies, so like building codes, huh? so giving direction to new construction, but also putting in place uh, renovation targets. And one really important policy <coughs> that, I, that we think is, is needed is in procurement. Uh, because yeah, procurement, I think we recognize that quite often, even if we buy things ourselves, so then it's tempting to look at the lowest initial price tag. Um, but then, yeah, you could say like the cheapest product is in the end is the most expensive uh, because of the energy bill and of, of all the other negatives. And so, the, so there we need to move to what I call circular procurement, so that we look not only at the load, let's say the initial price tag, but okay, what does it cost over lifetime? And if we then, and I, I purposely say circular procurement, because I think the term will be more sticky than green procurement or any technical uh, term, uh, but then that, that has a couple of things in it. So we look at the economics so over lifetime. So once what, the, the time this operates, uh, what is the, let's say the cost per year? but also what are the carbon emissions per year so that also then <coughs> there we make a choice for the lowest but also this requires so that products become circular so efficiency and circularity become more and more combined uh, because what is what is relevant is that more efficient products more sustainable products they last longer but we should not wait till the end of technical lifetime because then we shoot ourselves in the food tech because then again for years we'll be looking at something like oh this is really old but it still works huh? <laughs> um so then, yeah, circular procurement. And then the, the third area is financing. Yeah? So how do you finance a project? But also when you go from invoicing hardware to leasing a service. In our case, uh, let's say lighting as a service, you can just, yeah, then let's say the look at, let's say the cost per year over a 10 year time frame, And then you take away the, the investment hurdle. But then the fourth one is communication. So how do we make this tangible? How do we make people understand that next to all the technology and policy talk, uh, this is providing more comfort, more safety, 
it's, it's more productive in the in the workplace without having to work more hours. So really, yeah, make it understandable to people so that in larger numbers how they would change their voting and buying behavior. Because that's the, that will then bring, in my view, the acceleration that is needed. And so we're moving in the right direction. Had renewables, efficiency, LEDs, electric vehicles are unstoppable, but we need to double the speed in all domains. Mm. And we can, I think, best do that. We need, let's say, we need to do our professional work on those first three areas on technology, policies, and financing. But we need to become much more understandable. Huh? So just normal people, people's words, huh? maybe, let's say, huh, try your mother-in-law or your, your, your sister <laughs> or your kids and explain it to them. Because huh? they, they're sure. also really smart on this, but they want to understand, okay, what's in it for me? Uh, yeah, so what does it matter so in my daily life? Helping stakeholders understand and be able to share that value proposition to get other people on board. I think that's a great point. Um, we're almost at the end of our time. One question just came in that I, I do want to share because I think it's a good example. So someone is particularly interested in the healthcare industry and is saying that actually it's a, it's a, it's kind of ironic that the this industry, which is so important in our lives, is also very poor when it comes to things like energy efficiency. So I don't think you've got any insights in sort of 30 seconds each that you can share particularly on healthcare and what healthcare can be doing to improve. Toby? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think just any of us that have ever visited any um, healthcare locations, you know, you can just see the wasted energy everywhere. And that's, that's a bit of a curse being an energy efficiency professional. You walk into a building and you notice all the wasted energy everywhere, um, which is a bit annoying sometimes. But yeah, they're often um, still using, you know, dumb technology. So we could benefit a lot in hospitals from from uh, smart technologies. Um, there's been some really interesting case studies. Harry can talk on this more on um, specific lighting for healthcare um, situations. Yeah, I think in general, we need to work with in in the UK, like the, the NHS trusts, um, but healthcare professionals, we need to engage that um, industry. So policy can really help on that side of things. But yeah, it's a huge area that, you know, that we know that the energy use in in the UK, in the NHS is is huge. So we, they have done some really good stuff and there's been some good examples, but there's um, lots of potential. So that's always a good thing when we see something as a problem. I'm also a eternal optimist, so I see it as a big potential um, project to work on as well. Uh, Harry, I would give you 30 seconds on this, but we are at time. So I'm just going to yeah, wrap no, no, up because I know just, the stream will just, cut out. Yeah, just on, on healthcare, then also 5 billion euro can be saved just by switching the lighting. But also there, I think we should move from looking at the price of medication, cost of healthcare to the value of health. Yeah. And there we see that good lighting in a hospital also helps people to recover faster after the surgery. Uh, people feel more healthy in buildings with good lighting. So there are lots of aspects that that count also to the let's say the value of health. Uh, I so think that's a that's a great place area. for us to end. The value of health and and actually relates directly to the value of energy efficiency. We spoke today about the size of the price. What is that this can make a significant dent in our climate problem. We talked about the need to make it sexy in order to overcome some of the barriers that we face. We spoke about the barriers from the grid to uh, lack of awareness, but we spoke a lot about the solutions. So everything from product efficiency right through to what I love, the idea of circular procurement, but also helping stakeholders communicate the benefits of energy efficiency better to defend the investment they're making. Harry, Toby, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It's been a great discussion and I look forward to working with you to make sure we bring those barriers down. Thank you everyone for joining and uh, wishing everyone a great day. Great. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Jeremy. Bye-bye, Toby.